We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Hey there, Substance. How you guys doing? I'm Pastor Peter Haas, if we haven't met yet. And of course, those of you who get to know me know that I'm like a huge Walt Disney fan. Like, I love reading Walt Disney biographies. And I remember years ago, I came upon this biography of how Walt Disney, like, created three entities. He created, like, Disney Studios, Walt Disney World, Disneyland, the physical elements, and then uh, Disney Business Enterprises. And these three things made Walt Disney. And I, I, the reason why I'm sharing that is because like early on when my wife and I planted substance, I felt like the Lord was like, Hey, Peter, I want you to, to take some of those same ideas of three entities for substance and build it kind of similar to how Walt Disney thought. Like, in other words, have have substance churches, the physical locations like Disney World, Disney, and then have substance studios, the creative stuff. Like, you know, someday, many of you guys know, like, we're building up to do feature films. We we do a lot of music here, Substance I.O., Substance Variant, but also Substance Publishing, so the studio element, and then uh, Substance Leaders, kind of this discipleship institute where we're just cranking out church planners to do campuses all over the place. And I, I felt like the Lord was like, hey, if you build these three entities right, that substance over the long haul is going to have a disproportionate impact on the world. And so that's kind of how we've been doing substance. A lot of you, you didn't even know that. Uh, Well, of course, right before uh, COVID hit, uh, one of my good pastor friends, uh, Jason Laird, who pastored a church in San Fran at the time, um, happened to be near Pixar Studios. And and he told me, hey, I've got some staff members who actually work at Pixar. Would you ever be up or interested in kind of seeing how Pixar does its studio process? And I was like, heck yeah. And so I flew out to San Francisco just to hang out with Jason Laird. And of course, Jason at the time was about, uh, he was right on the verge of moving to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, but I, I wanted just to hang out with Jason. How many of you guys know there's just some people in your life who they give you a spirit of creativity? And I got to hang out with Jason at Pixar. It was so much fun. I, I actually I got us all in trouble because I I uh, Finn Wolfhard from uh, Stranger Things happened to be the the main actor, you know, Ghostbusters guy. Uh, he happened to be there, and I like started taking photos, and then I almost got uh, Jason's you know friend fired from Pixar. It was awesome. But anyway, I, I'm sharing all that. Because I, because right now in the house today at Substance is Pastor Jason Laird, who I had that entire experience with. And again, I just there's some people in your life that make you dream bigger. And of course, Jason Laird is that for me. Maybe maybe because he's pastored at some of the, the most uh, inspirational churches around the United States, but he's also a church planner who works for the Ark, surrounded by dreamers. And, and, and so I asked Jason if he would come and bring the word today. And I'm just telling you, I just know he's going to inspire something new. Why? Because he has the spirit of God in him. And so wherever you are at downtown, West side, Monterey, would you stand to your feet and give Jason Laird a warm substance? Welcome as he brings the word today. Come on. Come on. Why don't we give Jesus our best praise? Come on. You can do better than that. Awesome. 
Well, hey, before you sit down, before you sit down, let me, let me just say something really quick uh, about your pastors. I know you already know this. You, 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 you probably, you know, you know this. People come in and tell you this kind of stuff all the time. But you need to know that you have some of the, some of the greatest pastors on planet Earth. And, uh, and how many of you, you would agree with me? You, you believe Pastor Peter and Carolyn? And, um, and not just them, also the staff, the team here. I'm, every time I come here, I'm inspired. Uh, I'm blown away by just the spirit of this house. And, um, and it's, it, you, you just need to know this. Like, unfortunately, you know, as I travel, I, I do get to see different types of churches. Sometimes they're phenomenal, and then sometimes I'm like, wow, what, what's going on here? Uh, but, um, and, and sometimes what I mean by that is like, it can almost come across as like a production or a program. And, um, and so I, moments like that, I just do my best to serve those places. But then, then I also show up at churches like this where, make no mistake about it, this is a production, this is incredible, but you need to know what happens behind here. Behind here, uh, before service uh, today, you have the worship team. They're not just a band and this isn't just a gig, but they're back there storming the heavens, praying and interceding on your behalf yeah. and crying out to God for breakthroughs in your life, in your marriage, in your family interceding and praying in the spirit and declaring God's goodness over your life. You know, your pastors, they, they serve you in that capacity. They love you. And I just wanted to take a moment and to honor them, to honor the leadership here. You know, I really believe that honor is a powerful thing. It can get weird and you can venerate people and make it kind of funky. But I think in a healthy way, we can honor people that, have, that are serving us and are leading us. And I think that dishonor disables, but honor empowers. And you wanna see your leaders continue to flourish and grow and give you their best? Man, just show, a spirit, show some honor and express that honor. And so we're gonna do this. I wanna, I wanna clap our hands and, and show our love and appreciation for the staff here, for the leaders here, the leadership. And uh, yeah, I just think it's powerful to do that. And so Pastor Peter and Carolyn, if you're watching, I love you so much. So thankful for you. And so, all right, why don't you look at the person sitting, standing next to you as you're seated and tell them, say, it's so good to see you in church today. Yeah. Look at that other person you didn't want to talk to and uh, tell them, say, I know you, you need some church today. You need this. <clears throat> well, I want to welcome all of our campuses. So thankful that you, you tuned in to join us today. We believe that God's going to speak to your heart. And uh, last service, we had a great service. And so I hope you came expectant. I hope you came uh, just with an open heart. I believe that God's gonna speak to our hearts today. I believe that God's gonna challenge us. He's gonna, he's gonna direct us and guide us. And, and there's a specific thing that I feel like he wants to do. Uh, I know he did it in the last service, had amazing conversations with people afterwards. And I just believe that, that God's gonna do that in this service, in every one of our services, at every one of our campuses. He's gonna speak to us today, amen. Um, I, I wanna do this as you go with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We're gonna throw it on the screen. Uh, but as you go over there, um, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna introduce you to, uh, to my son. He's here, he's traveling with me. Liam, why don't you stand up really quick? Liam Josiah, he's 12 years old. Look, he's representing a little substance hat. He's got his hoodie on, got his Jordan 1s on. You're looking fresh, man. Uh, so anyway, he's a stud. I love him so much. So proud of you, son. Uh, but I have this other picture I want to put up here so you can see the rest of the family. They couldn't make it. But this gives me a little street cred right here. Because if you look at, if you look at that woman and then you look at the man, uh, it shows you that God still does miracles. Can somebody? <laughs> Why y'all laughing? Um, and if you're here and you're single, you're scoping and you're hoping, listen, God can do a miracle in your life too. Uh, but that's my wife, Jennifer. We've been dating now for 22, 23 years and uh, been married now. May 21st will be 17 years that we've been married. 
And uh, I'm a rich man. I'm so blessed by her. And uh, I'll put that back up there really quick. I want to I show you the rest of the family. So then you have Liam there that you just met. Uh, he's 12. He, he's, a, he's a big football uh, fan. He, he wants to go play football for the LSU Tigers, Louisiana State University. And then he's going to go to the pros, and that's how I'm going to retire. And so <laughs> I really believe in God for that. And then uh, Nixon is our, our, our nine-year-old son there. Uh, he's a little creative. He's kind of like Pastor Peter, just kind of a creative genius, a savant. You know, he writes, he can, he can literally like write a, a poem in like, like 10 seconds. He'll just scribble something. He's super creative. He's an unbelievable young man. And then this little one right there. I'm just going to tell you guys right now. People told me, they said, Jason, when you have a daughter, it's going to change your life. It's going to wreck you. It's going to rock your world. I was like, oh, I mean, I have two amazing sons. And they said, nope, I'm telling you, when you have a little girl, uh, you may love her more than them. And I was like, there's no way. Close your ears, son. Uh, <laughs> but man, I'm telling you, Novi Sophia, uh, she'll be three years old in May, and she is the life of the party. I mean, she, I call her my little ham sandwich. I call her biscuits. I call her all kinds of names. Her mom's like, stop calling her these names. Uh, but she is. She brings so much joy to my heart, so much joy to our family. As a matter of fact, I want to show you these other two pictures. Uh, this first picture, I took this picture uh, in October last year. This is sort of my iPhone flex, just showing off that I still have photography skills. Uh, I'm actually joining the Substance Photography team, just to let you know, part of the team there. Uh, so I took this picture of her, but watch this next one. This is her every day in our, in our house. I mean, this is her personality. She's like, she likes country music. We're in Nashville now. She likes country music, okay? I don't know where she gets that from. Uh, and, and she also likes Peppa the Pig. If you don't know what Peppa the Pig is, it's all right. So she's, she literally is like, Dad, I, don't, I, 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 want, I want Casey Musgraves' Peppa. So she's like a combination of Casey Musgraves, the singer, and Peppa the Pig. And so that's what she likes to wear like every day of our house. And people were right when they said she's gonna capture your heart. I mean, you know that you're, you, love, you love your daughter if... If like this literally happened to me a few weeks ago, she said, she's like, dad, let me paint your nails. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I know that's kind of a thing with some people in fashion world, but I'm not doing that. I'm a 40 year old man. Okay. And uh, she's like, let me paint your nails. And so I let her paint my nails. Okay. This is the first time I ever did this. And uh, my wife's laughing. The boys are laughing. I'm like, dad, you're crazy. Well, I forgot that I had the fingernail polish on. Next day, I'm riding, driving my big Toyota Tundra truck, driving down the highway, pink and green. Um, I didn't even, and I'm, I got my arm out the window, like just like this redneck from Nashville. Just, and I look down, I'm in the drive-thru of Chick-fil-A, and I'm like, hide my hands. I'm like, so insecure. But anyway, whatever she wants, I will buy it for her, in Jesus' name, okay? She has stolen my heart. But that's my family. Uh, if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 14, we're going to jump into it and um, there's something specifically that I want to speak uh, on today. Um, you remember that scripture, Hebrews 11, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think the converse of that, that verse is pretty powerful if you think of the implications. With faith, what can we do? Faith can move the heart of God. Faith does not just move the hands of God, it moves the heart of God. When we trust God and we put our faith in him, not just for salvation, but we believe him as our provider, when we believe him as our protector, when we believe that he is our greatest resource, that he is, he's, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, uh, he's with us, he's for us. When we, when we put our trust and faith and surrender in God like that, man, it just moves his heart. I really believe that. It moves the heart of God. The interesting thing about faith is that faith is quantifiable. What I mean by that is when you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus would go around and he would quantify people's faith. Do you remember that? He, he said, 
to a group of guys that had been with him on the journey and that they had seen him do many miracles and do phenomenal things, and yet they face a particular challenge, and he looks at them, and he rebukes them, and he says, oh, ye of little faith. Like, guys, where's your faith? Now, you gotta think, he's rebuking them not because of the size of their faith, but he's rebuking them because he knows they have the capacity to believe for more because they've already seen more. And so he rebukes the size of their faith because of the capacity is diminished. And he's like, guys, you're, you're, you're not believing, you're not trusting. And so he quantifies their faith. Then he says to another person, remember, I think it was a centurion or someone like that that had a, a Roman official that had a, a kid that was sick. And he said, you don't even have to show up at my house, Jesus. Just, you just say the word, just send forth your word and it will heal my child. And it, Jesus is astonished. And he says, I have not seen faith like that in all of Israel. That's, un, that's astonishing faith. He's quantifying this man's faith. Uh, you know, the, the Bible teaches us that we're saved by grace through faith. Literally, it's, it's, it's activated and appropriated by our faith. We prophesy according to our faith. We receive the Spirit by faith. From start to finish, this thing is faith. It's, it's about faith. It's about following God in faith. And I wonder today, if you were to look at your life, if you were, you were to evaluate your life today, scale from one to 10, remove the seven. Seven's a neutral number, right? Right? It's neither good nor bad. When people are asked you, they're like, hey, how do you think I did today? And they're like, I think you did a seven. Well, that's just, they're just trying to be nice, okay? They're not, they don't wanna tell you that you were like a five or a six. So seven's a neutral number, take it out. On a scale from one to 10, one being you have zero faith, like you, you have no faith at all. 10 being you're full of faith, man. You're believing God for something right now. You're full of faith. Where are you at? Where do you land on that today? You don't have to say it out loud. But here's what I want you to identify is wherever you may be at, if it's a one, a two, or a seven, six, whatever, wherever you're at, I just believe that God wants to infuse some faith in you to believe him for greater things, for your marriage, for your family, for your finances, in your body, with your health. God wants you to believe for greater things in Substance Church, in this city, in this community, at every one of our campuses. I just believe that wherever you're at, God wants to move you a step closer and a step farther in your faith. He wants to build your faith today. And so my assignment was simply this as I begin to pray. I said, God, I just wanna go kind of like, like just, just to come in here and just stir up some people to believe you for greater things. Yeah. I just felt that assignment. Like, come in here and just encourage your faith wherever you're at. I don't mean hype. I mean, I just want to help you to see a grander picture of who you serve, that God is omnipotent, that God is powerful. We sang it earlier. He can do the impossible. He can do the impossible in your life. He can do the impossible in your business. He can do the impossible with your children, that prodigal son or daughter. Listen, God can do what seems to be impossible. It's possible with God. Can somebody say amen? I just wanna encourage you today, is that okay? I just came here, we're not gonna get down and just preach very didactically, but I just came here to inspire somebody. Let's trust God. Let's believe that there are greater days in front of us in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this particular passage of scripture that we're gonna dig into today because it is a story, an inspiring story of faith. The story is about Jonathan, he's King Saul's son, uh, the, the heir to the throne, the prince, and this story captures a really interesting, interesting, um, inspiring, faith-filled narrative. It says this, one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, there's no name, we just know he's an armor bearer. He says, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father, Saul, who was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migram. Now, they named some names here, and I just gotta tell you, how many of you ever read the Bible and you come across a word or a name and you're like, I'm just gonna, I don't know what that says, it's just like watermelon, watermelon. You know, just kind of fly through it. 
especially when you're reading in public, right? Just bear with me. We're going to make some stuff up here. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahiah, who was wearing an ephod. He was son of Ichabod's brother, a hot tub, son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. It says, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they just sneak away, and his father and none of the other men knew it. It says, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. The Israeli army, the people of God, they're, they're at, at odds, they're at enmity with the Philistines, their enemy. And they're, at fi- they're fighting. And it says, the Philistine outpost was up on this cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sinai, this place where they intended to cross. It said, one cliff stood to the, to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Now look at these next two verses here. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those pagan men, the Philistines. And these next three words are so powerful. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Maybe God's gonna show up. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few, Jonathan said. The armor bearer looks back at him and he says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Aren't you thankful to have people in your life that are heart and soul with you? Come hell or high water, they're with you. They believe in you. I love, I love that. I just wanna speak to you for a few moments today on the topic of faith, but I want this, 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 these three words to just get in your spirit. I hope that it gets lodged in your head, lodged in your heart, lodged in your spirit for whatever you may be facing, whatever you may be believing God for, whatever you feel like God's called you to do, perhaps the Lord. Somebody say, perhaps the Lord. Perhaps. Come on, say it like you're a saved bunch of people. Perhaps the Lord. Perhaps the Lord. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Any risk takers in the house today? By a show of hands, any, any risk takers? You like to take risks. Look, like 25 of you. The rest of you, you're so risk averse, you were scared to raise your hand. You're like, I don't know if I should raise my hand right now. I used to be a risk taker when I was younger. Now the riskiest thing I do is hang out with Pastor Nate. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> I would suppose that playing it safe is probably a good idea in many, many areas. But, but when it comes to following God, I think that sometimes he just calls us to take risk and to step out in faith and to attempt things and try things and it just stretches us right outside of our comfort zone. You see, your growth is actually outside of your, your comfort zone. And a lot of times what I'm finding is that, you know, to play it safe, you, you actually, it's the most dangerous thing you can do is play it safe. Why? Because in playing it safe, you run the risk of dying and having never truly lived. I don't want to live a domesticated life. I don't want to have a domesticated Christianity. I want to just, I want to say, God, I don't know but I'm just gonna believe that perhaps you're gonna show up and I'm gonna step out and pray the prayer of faith over this person for them to be healed. I don't know, I sense this word in my heart is for this young man over here and I just, uh, just, I don't know if this is gonna land right, but I'm gonna prophesy according to my faith. I'm just gonna see it and I'm gonna say it. Perhaps the Lord's gonna speak. I wanna live my life like that. My question for you is this. As we jump into this text, my question for you is, what type of story do you want people to tell about you when you're gone as it relates to your faith? What do you want your legacy to be? I know that we made a decision to, to take a big jump and say, we're gonna try to plant a church in San Francisco and perhaps the Lord, why? Here's one of the things, we just sense this. We want our kids to tell a specific story about their family when we're dead and gone. That my family, my parents, they were filled with faith and they just believed that if we stepped out in faith that God would show up. 
That's the story that we wanted to tell. And I can tell you, some days I feel full of faith and some days I don't. What's the story that you want to tell? Because I believe that Jesus died on a cross, not for you and I to live a safe life or a tame life, but for us to live filled with faith, following him wherever he may lead and guide us. I love this particular story because the context of it, when you look at it, in the previous chapter, Jonathan, the heir to the throne, he goes and picks a fight. I love Jonathan. He's just one of those rowdy guys. He goes and picks a fight with the Philistines and he beats them up pretty bad. He comes back and he joins the military, 600 of the military in Israel with his father, King Saul. But that little, that little chapter 13, when he stirs up the fight, it, it gets the Philistines so angry, they rally all of their troops and all of their weapons and they say, we're gonna finally go in once and for all. We're gonna wipe out the, the people of God, the, Israel, the Israeli military. We're gonna wipe them out. Now here's what you need to know about this. This context is, is very key. The, the, the Philistine military, it literally there's so many people in their military. It's, it, this is what the Bible, how it describes it. They outnumber the sand on a seashore. That's a lot of people. They're highly trained. They have unbelievable equipment and weaponry. They, they are so, they've outnumbered the people of God. Listen, there's only 600 people in, in, in Israel's army. And on top of that, as if that's not bad enough, they only have two swords. King Saul has a sword and Jonathan has a sword. The Bible says that the rest of the Israeli military, all they had was farming utensils, like shovels and rakes against, I mean, talk about, odds stacked against you. Have you ever felt like that? Like you're facing something and you're outnumbered. You're, you don't have the resources. You don't know how you're gonna do it. It just feels like this is imminent doom. Like there's no way we're gonna make it through this. This is the context. This is the setup. So what does the king do? When he hears that the enemy is coming in like a flood to wipe them off the face of the earth, what does he do? He goes to Migron under a pomegranate tree with his sword and he lays down and he goes to sleep. He's sleeping while the enemy is coming in to take out the people of God. What a picture of what our life can often look like. I mean, this is a guy that was a warrior at one point. This is a guy that was filled with faith at one point. And now he's got to the place where he's, he's got his sword and his comfort and he's laying under a pomegranate tree and he's not doing anything. I wonder how many churches and how many Christians have got to the place in their faith and in their life where now they've become domesticated and now they're sleeping while the enemy's coming into our cities like a flood, taking out a generation and we're just okay with going to church and ticking off the religious boxes. I don't wanna live like that. But it's contrasted with this, these camera guys are getting their, their work done today. I'm like moving everywhere. <laughs> Love you guys. But Jonathan over here, he, he's, it's a contrasted picture. The picture is that he is, use your exegetical imagination with me here, he's, he can't go to sleep. His father is asleep, but he can't sleep. His father has a sword, but he's doing nothing with it. He's got his sword, and I just imagine he's white-knuckling that sword, and he's angry, and he's mad. Just the thought of the enemy gonna come in and take them out? And then he knows that right on top of this ridge up here, there's 20 Philistines. And he's thinking, you know what? This could be different. This should be different. And I'm gonna do something about it. If everybody else wants to sleep this one out, I'm not sleeping this one out. He gets up. I imagine him, he just kind of wakes up his armor bearer. He's like, hey, shh, don't say anything to anybody. Don't tell my dad. Come with me, follow me. Grab your rake. <laughs> Bible says they slip off to the side. Jonathan, I just get this picture in my mind. Jonathan, he's looking up at that ridge and he goes, okay, here's the thing, man. This is what we're gonna do. There's 20 men up there. I know there's only two of us. There's 20 of them, two of us. 
they, they have probably 20 weapons. I got this sword and you got that rake, my brother. But we're gonna show ourselves to them. We're gonna yell, hey, hey. And if they call us up, we're gonna go up there, man. And I'm just gonna slice and dice and you can just rake people up in a little pile. Like. <laughs> and then he says this to him. And perhaps the Lord will show up. Maybe, maybe God will show up if we just step out. Perhaps the Lord. He doesn't have a word from the Lord. He doesn't have a prophetic kind of utterance. He doesn't have an impression. There's been no angelic visitation, no burning bush. He's just moving on a maybe. Why? Because of the next statement when he says, here's what I know. Jonathan says to the armor bearer, here's what I know. God can save whether or not if he has many or few. You know what he's saying? He's making a declaration, not in his own sufficiency, not in his ability to fight a good fight. He's making a declaration saying, I just know the God that we serve. I know what he's done before. I know what he can do again. And perhaps he's gonna show up. God doesn't need a bunch of men. He doesn't need a bunch of resources. God is self-sufficient. He is all powerful. All he needs is a maybe. God will show up. And two guys that can just be available to take a step of faith. And that armor bearer looks at him. Think about this. If I'm that armor bearer, I'm looking at him. I'm like, wait a second, Jonathan. Let's talk about this for a second. You've got a sword and I got a rake. I don't know how this is going to work out for us. I'm going to look at Jonathan and be like, bro, you got to find somebody else. I'm going back to sleep and staying with the 600 people because I am too afraid to do this, but not this armor bearer. He looks at Jonathan. And he says, you know what? Do all that's in your heart. I'm with you, heart and soul. And he follows him. I wonder, I wonder, Dad, do you have faith that your family can follow? Do you have faith that when people are around you, they, they're inspired and they wanna, they wanna do better, they wanna grow, they wanna step out? Do you, do you have that type of faith, this, this audacious and contagious where when people are around you, they see it, they sense it, they feel it, and people wanna follow you? I believe that I'm at a church where there's some people in here, you're filled with faith. You're a faith-filled church. This armor bearer looks at him, he says, go ahead, do, do whatever's in your heart, I'm with you, heart and soul. And Jonathan's faith, it affects that young man. Write this down, here's my first proposition to you. I just believe this with all my heart. I've seen it over 21 years of ministry. Your faith affects your friends, and your friends affect your faith. Your faith affects your friends, but make no mistake about it, your friends, they affect your faith. I remember whenever we began to pray about going and planning a church in San Francisco and we kind of started to get a little public and people started to find out about it. And, and um, I was at a church conference, about a thousand people in this room. There's a bunch of leaders and pastors. I came down at the beginning, the countdown's going, and worship's about to start. And man, I'm just there excited. We're, we're church planners. We're filled with faith. We're gonna go and serve the city. We're gonna go and build the kingdom and all that. So I'm all fired up. And one of my friends, longtime friend, he comes in. He's a good guy, but he comes in. He's a pastor. Sits next to me, he goes, hey man, right before worship started, he goes, hey man, I heard that you guys are gonna plant a church, is that right? I said, yeah, we're excited. God's called us, we're stepping out in faith, man. It's gonna be amazing. He goes, where are you guys planting at? I said, San Francisco. He goes, oh, God, don't do it. <laughs> Dear Jesus, don't, no, don't go, Jason, don't do it. It'll never work. <laughs> it's the most Secular city in North America, go anywhere else, go somewhere else. Don't go to San Francisco. I felt so discouraged. See, your faith affects your friends, but your friends, they affect your faith. I just sunk down in that seat. I just got, it was like the chair of despair, just sitting there. 
Countdown goes off, everyone stands, worship starts. I could not even gather enough strength and faith to stand up to worship. I begin to ruminate the thoughts of failure and the thoughts of looking like a fool and the thoughts of no one's gonna come and no one, we're not gonna have enough resources and there's so many odds stacked against us and I was so discouraged. And finally, I did what all of us do at some point in our life. We pray these ridiculous prayers. Like, God, if you're still calling me to San Francisco, God, I pray that you would give me a sign. I'd already sold my house, people. God's like, it's a little late, buddy. It's a little late. I said, God, show me a sign. I got specific. I said, God, I, I pray that when this, this pastor that was speaking, I knew him, he's a friend of mine. I said, when this guy's up there speaking, I said, I know I'm sitting by this guy that doesn't have any faith, but I know the guy that's up there, he's an encourager, he's prophetic, he's, he's faith-filled. I pray you give him a prophetic word for me in the middle of this service. I know there's a thousand people here, God, but this service tonight, it's all about me. This guy gets up and he's preaching. He's about halfway through his message. I can't make this up. I'm sitting there depressed and discouraged and he goes, did I see Jason Laird in this building tonight? I'm like, oh. My heart starts beating. I'm starting to sweat a little bit and getting red splotches on my neck. He goes, Jason Laird, stand up, stand up right over here. This is on video. I can't make this up, people. He goes, stand up right now. He goes, did I hear you're gonna plant a church? And I was like, yes, I am planting a church. Instant accountability, right? He goes, did I hear you're going to San Francisco to plant a church? I was like, yes. The guy's next to him like, oh, you know. He goes, Jason, he goes, you could have gone back to Louisiana where you were born and planted a church there. That probably would have made a lot of sense. Jason, you could have just stayed in Dallas, Texas. He goes, you could plant a big church there. You don't even have to be anointed for people to show up at your church in Dallas. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sort of. And... And he said, but you know what, Jason? He said, God called you, not to Louisiana or to Texas, but to California, specifically to the dark city of San Francisco to pioneer a new work. He said, go in the faith that you have and God will give you the faith that you need. I'm telling you what, my faith started building. What, your, your faith affects your friends, your friends affect your faith. My faith started rising again. I'm telling you what, I turned around. I just punched that guy right in the face. I'm kidding, I didn't do it. Five-fold ministry. Your faith affects your friends. Let me ask you this question. Who have you surrounded yourself with? If you're a one or a two with your faith, could it be that maybe your faith is languishing because you, you don't have the right people around you? Maybe they've been faithful, faithful to you over a long season of time, but you know that you can have negative, cynical, critical people around you and they can be faithful to you, but they're faithfully negative, faithfully critical, faithfully cynical, and it can actually diminish our faith. But when you surround yourself with people that are faith-filled, I don't want just faithful friends, I want faith-filled friends. Their faith can affect your faith when you have those dark days. That's why small groups are a big deal. Shameless plug right here. You need to be in a small group. If you're not in a small group, get in a faith-filled small group. Man, let people just in encourage you. Let people build you up. Let people edify you. Let people stir you for all that God wants to do in and through your life. Listen, that, the faith of Jonathan affected his friend but I bet the story could have gone a bit different if that armor bearer would have been negative, critical, and cynical. I bet he could have talked Jonathan out of, the, out of this miracle that he's about to see happen. Don't let anybody get negative around you and talk you out of what God wants to do in and through your life. Get some faith-filled people around you, amen? They begin to climb up this ridge, and there's no indication from the text that they feel any level of fear, but one can only imagine 
if you have one weapon and there's two of you fighting 20 people, highly trained and equipped people, there's probably some level of fear that either Jonathan or at minimum this armor bearer had to overcome. Here's what I've discovered is that anytime you're gonna step out in faith, you'll have to step over fear to do it. It's just part of the process. It's part of the journey. There's this tension that we live in where, where fear will wanna hold us back, where, where, where we can easily be afraid of, of so many different things. But one of the greatest things that we'll be afraid of, a lot of times when it comes to stepping out in faith to write the book, to start the company, to jump into ministry, to, to write the big check and live generously, that step of faith many times the enemy will start to whisper in our ear all these, these things that will try to intimidate us and keep us from stepping out in faith and we have to make a decision in those moments that we're not gonna follow our emotions and feelings, we're gonna follow God in faith and make a decision to step out in faith because if you're gonna step out in faith, you're gonna have to step over fear to do it. Write this down, here's my second proposition to you. Faith is not an emotion, it is a decision. And there are times where you and I will have to follow God in faith when we don't feel full of faith, where we just have to make a decision that God, because of who you are, I'm gonna step out in faith and I'm gonna follow you. You see, your feelings, I'm, I'm not like totally anti-feelings. God gave you your feelings. He gave you your emotions. They're great indicators. They can, they can show you where you're at. And it's almost like a dashboard of a car. They can indicate things and, and you, can, you can begin to pay attention to those things. But listen to me, your feelings are terrible leaders and they're great followers. And sometimes we have to just make a decision in faith and let our feelings catch up to us. These guys, they make a decision. We're gonna climb to the top of this ridge and we're gonna do some damage for our kingdom. They get to the top of this ridge and the Bible says that they start fighting these men. And they, they literally take out, they slay 20 men. Two guys slay 20 men with one sword. And we get no indication from the text that God has given them a directive to do any of this. We get no indication from the text that there's been any sign from the Holy Spirit that's guiding them and leading them, no prophetic word, no angelic visitation, no burning bush, nothing, and yet they're just moving on a maybe, and in their own strength, and their own ability, they've already taken out 20, but it was at that moment of them operating in the faith that they did have, it's in that moment heaven intervenes, and the Bible says when you read on in the story that God caused an earthquake, and the grounds begin to shake. Why? Because when we step out in faith, God shows up in power. A lot of times we're waiting on God to move in our life and he's waiting for us to move. A lot of times we're like, why don't we see enough miracles in our life? How many times have you prayed for somebody for them to receive a miracle? The more times I pray for somebody for healing, the more healings I see. But if I don't pray for anybody to be healed, I'll never see any healings. We step out in faith. There's some things that are activated and are inspired by the leading of the Holy Spirit, but the scriptures teach us also that there's some things that we just do by faith. We step out in faith. Why? Because we look at God's track record. We look at his history. We look at his ability. And these guys, they're just stepping out in faith. They take out 20 guys, and then the Lord shows up and causes this great earthquake. Here's why. Because faith honors God, and God honors faith. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. The scriptures go on to teach us that in this moment, the earthquake began to shake not only on that ground, but it caused all the ground where the Philistines, the rest of the military were, and it caused chaos in the camp. And the enemy turns on each other and they start killing each other. Do you know that your faith frustrates the enemy? It can, your faith, you just stepping out in faith and trusting and believing God, I'm telling you, it makes the devil so mad. They start fighting each other. 
destroying each other, but it, it also does this. Those 600 men that were asleep with King Saul, all of them asleep, the earthquake woke them up. See, on the other side of your faith is someone else's awakening, I believe that. They wake up, they jump in on the fight too, and they completely annihilate the Philistines that day. The scriptures tell us later on, it says, and on that day, the Lord saved all of Israel. On that day. Now let me ask you this question. On that day for them, God showed up. But what do you do when God doesn't show up? What do you do when you prayed to be healed and you didn't get healed? What do you do when you've been praying for years for the prodigal to come home and he's still on the run? What do you do when you've been trusting and believing for the job and you still don't have it? What do we do when we've been living our best by faith and it just feels like God's not showing up? God, I've been trying to honor you and believe you and trust you, but my faith is wavering. What do we do? when the outcome doesn't match what we were believing for. You see, I think that the whole thesis behind this could be summed up with one statement I wanna to give to you. But I gotta tell you, I didn't come up with this. One of my best friends did. I stole it from him, I stole this point. He shared it with me in 2017. His name's Steve Ware, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. It wasn't looking good. I mean, we, we did so many things. We were in the hospital and treatments and the chemo and, and it was very hard and, and I remember in 2017 it was probably in the summer I was sitting in the in a parking lot at Target and he starts encouraging me isn't it amazing how sometimes people can be, can be walking through hell but they can still because of their faith in God they can be an encouragement to you it's so amazing they can be facing some of the worst circumstances but they can still have a spirit of faith and encouragement that was Steve, and Steve started encouraging me about, about church planting. And uh, he said, Jason, you just gotta step out in faith and believe that perhaps the Lord's gonna show up. He began to encourage me, he said, Jason, the interesting thing about faith in, in our, our Christian world today, modern Christian world, he goes, we attach our faith to an outcome. And he said, the problem is, is that whenever we attach our faith to an, a specific outcome, when that outcome doesn't align with what we were believing for, he said, that's many times when people get disappointed in God, disillusioned by God, and that's even what causes people to deconstruct church, faith, and, and, and religion. And he said, but Jason, we have to remember Hebrews 11. When you read at the bottom of Hebrews 11, it says many of these people, they died believing for something they never saw. And so what does that teach you and I? Is, is this, this is what Steve said, said to me, he said, Jason, faith, is not about an outcome. It's about an outlook. He said, the doctors have told me in six months I'm gonna die. He goes, but I choose today to have an outlook of faith that because God's healed other people before, I choose to believe that he's gonna heal me. And I wish I had a beautiful story to end it and say, Steve got healed, but he went to be with Jesus. And his healing did not look like the way we thought it would. But Steve was healed when he opened his eyes and he saw Jesus. But the principle stands true today. Listen to me. I don't know what's gonna happen with your situation, but you can make a decision to have an outlook of faith. I don't know what's gonna happen in your marriage. I don't know what's gonna happen with your child. 
I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen in, in that specific area that you're believing, but I'm telling you what, today we can be the people of God and we can have faith and say, you know what? I will live the rest of my life praying for healing, praying for a breakthrough, praying for my marriage. I choose to have an outlook of faith. We can be people like that. You'll fall in a category of some pretty good people. You think back over the scriptures, I think about how foolish it looks sometimes that we follow God like this. People probably think we're crazy when, when we follow God in faith and we're trusting. I mean, think about it. That day, two risk takers became history makers all because of faith in a limitless God. They risked everything, their comfort, their security, their safety, especially their reputation. They were willing to, be, to, to attempt something that seemed foolish, but in the end, they found themselves in good company, the same company that you and I will find ourselves in. Think about this. Noah looked foolish building a boat in the middle of the desert. The Israelite army looked foolish marching around Jericho blowing trumpets. David looked foolish charging a giant with a slingshot and five stones. Peter looked foolish getting out of a boat and in the middle of the sea. And Jesus looked foolish wearing a crown of thorns, but the results speak for themselves. Noah was saved from the flood. Jericho's walls came tumbling down. David defeated Goliath. Peter walked on water and Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. Listen, I don't know what your outcome will be, but I know I've seen God do some crazy things before in the lives of his people throughout the corridors of scripture and also in my own life. And I'm just challenging you today, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going, going, going through, just trust God. Say, God, I believe that because you've done it before, you can do it again. And I choose to have a spirit of faith, amen? Amen. Come on, why don't you clap your hands? You receive that. Final thing I'll tell you and I'll pray over you. I'm gonna pray something specifically, but when I read the Bible, I try to, I try to do something. It's an interesting exercise as a pastor. I, I love to try to find parallels throughout scripture that point me to Jesus. I think that the Bible really, the, the main character of the Bible, it's, it's really not about you. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. And so whenever I read the Bible, I don't try to find myself in the text. I find, try to find Jesus in the text. How narcissistic is that? We're like, where am I in the scripture? Let's look for Jesus in the scripture. But think about this, Jonathan is heir to the throne and he climbs a hill, very tough, challenging hill. Armed with a sword, he takes man's life to save his own people and the ground begins to shake. See, Jonathan points us prophetically to a, to a true and greater prince that would one day come, this prince named Jesus, the Prince of Peace. That he, he climbs a hill called Golgotha, talk about a challenging hill, armed not with a sword in his hand, but with a cross on his back. And he lays down his life to secure salvation and the life for his people. You see, Jonathan is a good leader, but he's nothing like Jesus. Jesus is the true and greater leader that lays down his life for you and for me. And the Bible says in the gospels that when Jesus breathed his last, last breath, what happened? The ground began to shake. The ground began to shake. And so if you must find yourself in the text in 1 Samuel 14, let me just remind you, you and I, you're not Jonathan, I'm not Jonathan. I think the armor bearer, his, his name remains, remains a mystery because it's your name and it's my name question is, will we follow Jesus wherever he leads us, heart and soul? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for today that you just wanted to encourage us and remind us that no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're walking through and dealing with, that we can choose to have an outlook of faith. Outlook is on us. Outcome is on you. 
Some of you just need to hear that. You need to let that resonate with your spirit today. You're facing that diagnosis. You're facing that bad news. Just let it resound in your spirit. Outlook is on me. Outcome is on you, God. I trust you. I surrender to you. Outlook is on me. Obedience is on me. But the outcome is on you. God, I pray for every person today. Maybe they came in and their faith is at a one. Maybe it's a two. Maybe they feel like they're in negative numbers. Today, I pray that they'd leave with their head lifted high. They would leave inspired by your word and by your spirit. They would leave with a spirit of faith, choosing to trust you, choosing to believe that you're the God that heals. You're the God that provides. You're the God that redeems. You're the God that restores. That you are the God that does the impossible. May we choose to have an outlook of faith today. If you're here today and you say, Jason, I, the truth is, is that I'm not at peace with God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. But today I wanna follow him, heart and soul. If that's you today, we just, just say the simple prayer with me. You know, the Bible says that if we call upon the name of Jesus, that he'll save us. It simply means that he'll, he'll rescue us from a life without him and put us into relationship with him. The Bible says if we confess our sins and our shortcomings to him, he is faithful to forgive us. And so today, if that's you, you say, Jason, I need a fresh start and a new beginning. I need forgiveness. I wanna follow Jesus. Just say this simple prayer. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I choose today to follow you. I choose to give you all of my life. And I need you. I cannot do this on my own. I've tried life on my own and it doesn't work. Today I surrender my full life to you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness of my sins. A fresh start today. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for every person that prayed that simple prayer that right now, Holy Spirit, fill them. Confirm in their heart that they are truly a son or a daughter of God. Shed your love abroad in their life. Let them sense that they are loved by their heavenly Father. Do what a preacher can't do, what a leader can't do, what an institution can't do. Confirm in them that you love them, that you're with them, that you're for them. May they walk with you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Come on, church. Can we clap our hands today? Everybody that prayed that prayer, thank you so much. I'm ask our campus pastors to come up. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.